Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This week in the United Kingdom, inflation hit 10.1% and the Bank of England says there's worse to come. There hasn't been a that figure for 40 years. Furniture retailer Wafer is to cut 870 jobs worldwide. The online furniture retailer said it's kept costs between 30 to $40 million, mainly due to employee severance and benefits expenses. Earlier in the month, the company had reported larger-than-expected second-quarter losses, said it had been hit by soaring supply chain expenses and a declining demand for furniture since the pandemic. Tesla cuts delivery waiting times for Model Y in China to a minimum of four weeks. They announced on Thursday that they'd slash these delivery times on the Model 3 and the Model Y cars in China as it ramps up output in the Shanghai plant. Apparently it's upgraded some production lines and that seems to have helped. Airbus has cut its delivery forecast for the year, reducing the forecast from 720 to 700 commercial aircraft. Boeing is also expected to deliver 100 fewer aircraft in the 737s in 2022. Airbus has shifted the ramp-up target for the A320neo production, which has pushed back the timetable for achieving 65 aircraft a month to early 2024. It's effectively a six-month deferral from the original plan, which was to reach this rate by summer 2023, so it's pushed it back by six months. Both Airbus and Boeing want to up output by 2024-25. It's a complex supply chain environment, of course, aerospace, as we discussed a couple of weeks back. So it's difficult to ramp up production when supply chains are creaking. And there's all sorts of reasons for that, which we've discussed ad infinitum on the Chain Reaction podcast. Airbus are in discussions with suppliers and partners to ramp up the A320 output to 75 in 2025. And the strong customer demand says the chief executive, Mr. Fowry. Boeing's also revised its delivery forecasts and want to make more aircraft in 2024. They're expecting that the 737 deliveries will be closer to the low 400s for 2022, and that's quite a way short of what was discussed earlier in the year. The chief financial officer for Boeing said they were hoping to produce about 500 earlier in the year. There's also difficulties with engines and engine production for aircraft presently, and it's due to a shortage of parts and components in the aircraft supply chains. One US supplier is having difficulty to recruit talent that they need to get back to the levels that they were at pre-pandemic. There's also an issue about structural castings. Raytheon Technologies announced that their structural castings were problematic. So this is all slowing down the plans, but they hope to get back in a year or so. Airbus had 26 aircraft awaiting engines at the end of the first half, 
but Fowry is confident that the backlog will diminish to zero by the year end. So they're working hard to actually get to a zero position. No shortages on engines. And one of the trends in the aircraft industry is to spend more but with fewer suppliers. And that's to try and keep down not just cost, but to keep tight control or tighter control on the supply chain. Working more closely with those suppliers, building relationships that benefit both. Rolls-Royce is handling extra staff to handle supply chain challenges, noticeably to get back to the pre-pandemic levels. That's for civil aircraft engines in particular. Airbus is looking to increase production of twin aisle aircraft to meet demand in line with signs of recovery in the airline transport market. And Rolls-Royce is the main supplier of engines for those wide-body planes. Now, looking at inflation in Britain this week, you might be forgiven to think it's summer and everybody's on holiday, including the government. And yes, they are. But there's a fresh wave of labour strikes looming up. The railways, you might remember, already on strike, and that's causing large amounts of disruption to transport in the United Kingdom. Trains are being cut. There are fewer trains. They're asking people not to travel on trains and... They seem to have forgotten it's holiday time, it's August, when people actually want to use trains. But they can't use them at the moment. It's quite frustrating. People can't get to work either. And there's other strikes looming. And uh, one of the things that happened this week, 500 stevedores at Britain's fourth largest port in Liverpool, at uh, a port run by Peel Ports, voted on Monday to strike after rejecting a 7% pay hike. Now you can see why 7% is not good when inflation's 10.1%. It means you're actually accepting a pay rise lower than the inflation rate. Staff are demanding pay increases in line with soaring inflation, which is already more than 9%. In fact, it's 10.1%. And they say that their pay hasn't risen since 2018 and that the employer's been reneging on an agreed bonus scheme too. So it doesn't sound good. The Peel Port staff are the second UK dock workers to announce strike action in the month. 1,900 workers at Felixstowe, Britain's largest port, announced an eight-day strike this month. And Felixstowe is the global shipping hub for the UK with lots of containers passing through the port. Industrial action comes just as global supply chains are starting to run more smoothly. So it doesn't look good. It's taking about 40 days at the moment to get goods from Southeast Asia to the United Kingdom. In normal times, it would have been about 30, 35 days. So it's much slower, but uh, a little bit slower, but uh, it's going to be more slow with uh, these strikes looming. Of course, there's not much about this on the national news. It hasn't been given very much of a profile. It's almost as if people are trying to cover it up here. The ports and the manufacturers are keen to downplay the likely disruption. They're saying they don't expect or anticipate any problems or prolonged impact on UK supply chains. And that statement comes from the British Ports Association. But I think that's a bit optimistic. Semiconductor parts for assembly and finished retail goods will simply be rerouted to other ports, they say. I mean, what could happen is they could go to Rotterdam and then they could be shipped in different ways instead of coming to Felixstowe. But... uh, It doesn't look good. There's 40,000 workers in the network rail system on strike with the National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers. And they handle freight too. They've been offered 4% as a pay rise. 
so far. Again, inflation's running at two and a half times that. The Unite Union have said they had support from American dock workers on the West Coast. And a number of uh, port workers in other locations have said they won't actually handle cargo diverted from British ports, Felixstowe or Liverpool. So, unhappy times. Amazon warehouse workers in Britain are also striking, and this further raises the risk of disrupted supply chains. Strikes have also hit European docks in Germany, and there are labour shortages that are still rippling throughout the world, and those are causing bottlenecks in global supply chains. The port of Oakland near San Francisco shut down in late July because of a trucking strike. Remember, I reported that here. And an eight-day trucker strike in South Korea in June snarled the microchips and slowed those deliveries down. So there's lots of labour strikes, and it's not just in Britain. They seem to be in lots of countries around the world just now, which is causing all kinds of disruption. Interestingly, the disruption from the striking workers is unlikely to be of a similar ilk or impact as... Last year's disruption when the Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal. So perhaps we can be grateful for small mercies. But it's going to cause a lot of problems for people trying to get hold of supplies for all sorts of manufacturing operations and production of materials, pharmaceuticals, all sorts of things really. And of course we've already got soaring prices for groceries which will add to the inflation along with the increasing Energy prices that are coming down the track fast, and no one seems to be doing much about those at the moment. So another summer of discontent in supply chains. And that might be before the winter of discontent, which is about to happen. It's a bit like a Shakespeare tragedy, isn't it? Now, I came across an interesting article in uh, Automotive News Europe this week. BMW are going to get Tesla-like cylindrical batteries from China's EVE with battery cells for the automaker's new class vehicles. Tesla is one of the companies adopting this technology. BMW hopes to get these large cylindrical batteries for its electric cars in Europe from China's EVE Energy. EVE has signed contracts to be BMW's primary supplier of the battery cells in Europe for its new series of electric vehicles which go on sale in 2025. Tesla started manufacturing its new large format 4680 cylindrical battery with 46mm in diameter and 80mm in length. The battery has lower production costs and improves the range compared with the current generation of 2170 cylindrical battery. EVE is based in Guangdong in China and uh, the specialists in this field. Currently, BMW uses prismatic batteries, but the move now is towards these large format cylindrical batteries, which give more range. Eve announced back in March that it would build a cylindrical battery production facility in Debrecen, Hungary. It's its first plant in Europe, and that's because they've got this arrangement now with BMW that seems to cement things. BMW is also constructing a plant in the same city where the EVs are being produced. And CATL announced last week that it would build Europe's biggest battery plant with annual capacity of 100 gigawatt hours. And that's also in Debrecen, 
So Debrecen in Hungary is becoming quite a centre for battery and car technology. To supply European automators, it will be Mercedes-Benz that it will be supplying. They will be the biggest client for CATL. Interestingly, the Chinese company Eve, founded by lithium-ion battery researcher Li Zhengcheng in 2001, is a much smaller player than CATL. It ranks 8th. It's got 2.3% market share in China. In comparison, CATL makes 48% of the total batteries installed in EVs in China. So they're a big player in the market. On a separate note, I saw there are plans afoot for self-drive vehicles to make the manufacturers of those vehicles responsible if accidents should occur while the automated vehicles are en route. So I wonder how that might change the uh, playing field for automated vehicles. I also came across a piece about VW's car plant in Mexico also having problems with labour strikes. And the labour force at the plant represents about 7,000 workers at the Mexico plant of VW in the state of Puebla. And they haven't agreed new contracts yet with that labour force. They're holding out for a 9% wage agreement between the Independent Union of Automotive Workers and VW. Now, interestingly, in the past couple of weeks, I've noticed a lot of plastic containers are switching the type of plastic that they're using. And I'm thinking here about bottles, uh, particularly drink manufacturers like Sprite and Coca-Cola, who are moving towards 100% recyclable plastic. They've switched from coloured plastic to white plastic, clear plastic. And I noticed an experiment in a UK retailer that's taking place currently on milk bottles, and that's with Aldi. And they're changing the colour tops that they have, which indicate whether it's semi-skimmed or skimmed milk from the green the blue and the red that they currently use, to a clear plastic top. So it's something that consumers will have to get used to, to read the label rather than the clear identifier on the top of the bottle. But I think that's a reasonable trade-off if you can reuse the plastic. Now PepsiCo announced this week it's going to build its largest US beverage plant in Colorado. It's 1.2 million square foot of manufacturing facility. It will be the largest plant in the United States. It's due to open next summer, a year from now. And the president, Johannes Evenblij, says that uh, it's a model for supply chain futures of PepsiCo beverages in North America. The new bottling plant will be three times the capacity of nearby facilities it will replace. It's planned to create 250 new jobs in the Denver area. And it will retain the 250 employees it currently employs nearby. It plans to produce Pepsi, Pepsi Zero, Sugar, Gatorade, Bubbly, Rockstar, Propel and Muscle Milk. That sounds good, doesn't it? I need lots of that. Now, did you ever think you'd see a port spring up in the middle of a desert? Well, keep listening. Because this week... The Kern County Board of Supervisors granted zoning approval to Texas-based Pioneer Partners 
so they can build a proposed inland port 90 miles outside of the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach. And it's basically to reduce congestion at the port. And they hope to have this operational by 2024. The inland port can handle approximately 3 million containers a year. And it's a relief valve for congestion occurring at the San Pedro Bay Port Complex. They hope to get goods to businesses and consumers faster and more efficiently. It will be California's first inland port, and it largely depends on rail to move the goods from San Pedro Bay Port Complex to Mojave. Cargo would arrive at the Los Angeles Port or Long Beach, and then transported on by rail on the Almeida Corridor further inland. There are trucking roads nearby, highways 48 and 15, and there's an air and spaceport capable of accommodating large cargo planes. Well, the port in the desert. The mind boggles, doesn't it? President Joe Biden this week signed the Inflation Reduction Act. Doesn't that sound good? It sounds as if you could just sign away inflation. Well, it's expansive legislation that's designed to encourage electric vehicle manufacturers to expand production and sourcing in North America. It's a landmark climate and healthcare law. It contains up to $7,500 in tax credits for consumers who purchase EVs through the financial incentive, but they only get that when the final assembly of the vehicle takes place inside North America. Sounds like a form of protectionism, doesn't it, really? I think that's what it is. So the, the big US free market is not that free at all, really. It's protective. The components used in EV batteries mustn't have been extracted, processed or recycled by a foreign entity, which includes China and Russia. There's a surprise. American auto companies, along with the American labor, are committing talent, billions of dollars in investment to make electric vehicles and battery and electric charging stations all across America. That's what Joe Biden said at the bill signing. It's estimated that 85% of rare earth metal processing takes place in China. At least, I would say. It may be difficult for automakers to meet the sourcing needs for their vehicles to qualify for the credits. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out, really. And if you want to find out a bit more about that, I did some episodes on rare earth metals. There's an episode, in fact, this week's episode, I think, is on energy, where I discuss some of those issues. And I think there have been previous episodes where I've discussed batteries, battery technology, and batteries not being as green and clean as you might think. So uh, go and take a listen to those. Find out more. Now, I think this is an interesting trend that's happening across retail. It's not just in the story I'm about to break, but it's happening elsewhere too. This week, I read about Gap, the clothing firm, and they've launched a logistics and fulfillment service for other retailers, joining a growing number of other companies leveraging their supply chains. So it's another way of generating revenue for Gap. If you've got the system in place and it works well and you, you've got your supply chain and it's working, if you want to make it economical, perhaps if you add other retailers to the mix, it generates more revenue, but it also strengthens the supply chain that you already have and you can use the system, you can create it more efficiently. So I think that's what's happening here. And many large companies with already established distribution what were we talking about a bit earlier? Muscle with the drink. You remember that muscle drink? Yeah, well, supply chains have muscle too. So uh, 
they're getting into the supply chain business. In other words, they've decided we've got all these skills, we've got this talent, we've got the systems in place. Well, we can help others. And while we're helping others, we'll help ourselves because we'll get more revenue, it'll be more profitable and so on. American Eagle also uh, launched a delivery network earlier this month. And Walmart has surpassed a million deliveries on its white label delivery service, Go Local. And you remember the, the man from Del Monte? Well, apparently, and it was a man, I'm not being sexist, but uh, that was the advertising blurb a few years back. But the produce giant has decided it's growing its own logistics capabilities to become an end-to-end supply chain provider. So there's a lot of this going on where firms are looking for new opportunities and looking to exploit the talent and the particular skill set that they have. You can think of it as a railroad, really, because you've got the railroad, you've put the tracks down, you've got the trucks rolling, and if you can put more trucks on it, it makes it more efficient. You get scale economies. Now, do you remember those non-stick pens that we used to have? And all sorts of cookware, which was non-stick. And of course, I suppose the Teflon ties are a similar sort of thing, where we could have a tie covered with a chemical substance, And, of course, it wouldn't stain. You could just wipe it straight off. But these PFAs, these uh, particular chemicals, they're in all sorts of products. And there was an article in Nature this week that caught my eye. Well, those sort of chemicals are a group of chemicals called per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAs. And they're widely used in all sorts of products, not just non-stick cookware, but foams for firefighting, waterproof clothes, non-stick cookware, and the dubbed forever chemicals. That's because they don't break down under typical environmental conditions. They accumulate in soil and water, and they persist in the human body once ingested. In fact, it was estimated that uh, about 95% of the world's population, maybe even higher, has uh, these PFAs in the system. In fact, 97%, according to um, scientists in America, 97% of Americans have it in their in the system. It's linked to all sorts of conditions like thyroid disease, high cholesterol and cancer. And the chemicals were originally designed by companies to be stable. That was the feature. But once they get into the environment, it's also a flaw. And this is reported in this article in Nature about these PFAs. But they've now found a way to deal with them differently. They typically used to rely on expensive, harsh treatments which required high pressure and temperatures above 1000 degrees centigrade to get these PFAs to uh, break down. But they've discovered a different method which was published on the 18th of August by Brittany Trang in Science which can break down one of the largest groups of PFAs using inexpensive reagents and temperatures of about 100 degrees centigrade. So perhaps not so forever if they can get rid of them that way. But they sound terrible things. I mean, I remember seeing a program on these chemicals and the damage they were doing, and the chemical companies that produced them were just in complete denial. Well, that's it for this news roundup. But just before I go... Don't forget, catch up on the episodes that you've missed. And of course, as always, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.
You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, presented, written, and produced by Tony Hines. supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.